Well, as we get started, I want to uh, speak to a couple of things. If you'll pull out your bulletin and look at the very back. Uh, last week, as you know, we had a vote of affirmation and uh, was just encouraged to see Nick and uh, uh, Michael so firmly affirmed. And uh, not just them, I want you to read this because I want it to be an encouragement to you as well as it was evident that our church body stands in unity as we see where God is leading us and we should be encouraged by that. So please take the time to, to read that bulletin and uh, just be thankful. And when you see Nick and uh, uh, Michael, uh, give them a pat on the back, pray for them, and uh, I know they'll be a great addition to the deacon team. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention just real quickly is after the sermon this morning, there's some more things that we want to share that kind of came out of our elders retreat. I told you uh, several weeks ago when uh, uh, Byron resigned that we would begin to ask the what question before we ask the who question, and we want to share some of that with you today. So keep your seat, and we'll walk through that briefly after the, the sermon this morning. And then lastly, I wanted to take just an opportunity to uh, express appreciation to Bruce and the students. Um, the Harvest Festival that took place on Wednesday was absolutely amazing. It really was. Um, what was amazing was to see what Bruce and the leaders did to set the students up and then the ownership that the students had on Wednesday to do it all on their own. And I want to tell you something, that by the time people went through that, they heard the gospel message presented in some of the most beautiful ways over and over again. And I, I don't know if they expected this. It was a little bit of a surprise to me, but there were a number of people who just walked in off the street that weren't a part of our church family and probably came from neighborhoods where they couldn't do what they were doing here in the homes where they lived. But they came to this place, and by the time they left, they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ several times over. So, Bruce, students, amazing job. So, so thankful for you guys. Um, speaking of fun things, uh, how many of y'all have been to the corn maze this year or have ever done anything like that? Yeah, it's a pretty fun deal. If you have never been to the corn maze, uh, they, they, they design that in the shape of some kind of pitcher as you work your way through the cornfield. Of course, you don't know what that pitcher is unless you're in an airplane up above everything. Everything looks the same when you're walking through there. But there's a lot of different ways that you can make your way through that maze. Uh, one of the things that they do is they, they have points along the way where you can answer a question. It could be a Bible question, Bible trivia. It could be American history, sports trivia. And if you get the right answer, you go on the right path. If you get the wrong answer, you end up on the wrong path, right? Well, we went with the clubs uh, one night, uh, Sunday night clubs. Brad Hodge was our fearless leader. And when we came to a place where we didn't know the way, he had an interesting strategy. He would tell the kids, okay, I want you to look down the path. And if you don't see very many weeds then that's the path we want to take because I think more people are choosing the right way than the wrong way and let's go down that path. Well, it worked some of the times, but not all the time. And what we found was there were times where we ended up in dead ends, got to the end of the row and thought, well, that was not the right path. Or we ended up circling back around and kind of finished up where we started. But we learned that, that the right path was the only one that moved you closer to the exit. When we look at Paul's letter to the Colossians, I want you to know that he is speaking to a people who by and large are on the right path. 
you remember how he told them that he is encouraged by their sound discipline, the stability of their faith. He tells them, as you began your walk with Christ, so continue to do so. They've been on the right path. But like us, as they continue down life, they are faced with a number of choices, decisions that they have to make to either follow the wisdom of men or be led by the work of the Holy Spirit. To set their minds on things above or to set their minds on things of the earth. But listen, here's the key. Only the path in following the Holy Spirit is the one that leads you closer to Christ. Everything else is a dead end. An an empty circle that turns you back to where you first started and you've made no progress. Only the right path is the one that leads you closer to Christ. Well, in our passage this morning, Paul is going to talk about those decisions that we make along the way as we go through life. And he wants us to, to understand what it, what it takes for us to stay on that right path, moving us closer to Christ. He confronts the reality that, that even though we are separated from the dominion of sin when we put our faith and trust in Christ, the reality is... We still live in a world where we are daily faced with the temptation of sin that surrounds us. Which means that without exception, every one of us still has decisions that we need to make along the way. And the question is, how do you stay on the right path? How do you stay on the right path? Well, I believe that's part of what Paul intends to answer this morning as we look at our passage. So... Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Guys, we open up your word this morning. We pray that uh, we understand uh, what it means to walk the right path by following the leading of your spirit to introduce us to new possibilities not previously known. That we would understand what it means to be a new creation in Christ who is in us the hope of glory. May it become evident to our heart as we listen to you this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you would, turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, and let's uh, begin where we left off last, last time. Colossians 3, verse 5. Paul says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body is dead to immorality, impurity, Passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you lived in them. See, as I mentioned, Jesus has destroyed the power of sin in the life of those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. But He did not remove the presence of sin in the world in which we live. So the question is, how do we stay on the right path? Paul then lists five specific examples of of sins that are ultimately the wrong path. They turn into dead ends or aimless circles. Things that we're familiar with. Immorality, impurity, and passion, or another word is lust, evil desires, greed. 
we see that list and we know that what Paul is identifying for the Colossians is equally as pervasive in our culture today, isn't it? In fact, uh, there's a new TV show and I admit that I have not and will not see it. I hope that you would make the same commitment. I don't know a whole lot about the show other than what's been advertised, but essentially I get the plot. It's a story about a homosexual couple who is wanting to adopt a child from an unwed mother who is consistently demeaned by her hypocritical mom who also happens to be a racial bigot. (laughs) What a great story. But here's the sad thing. Guess what the name of this new show is? You may have recognized it. It's called The New Normal. The New Normal. What a sad, sad commentary on the society in which we live. Because it's true, rarely can you go to a movie these days where you see the sex outside of the covenant of marriage that isn't presented as as normal in our lifestyle. (laughs) It it is, according to our society, the new normal. Internet pornography is now so pervasive that even conservative estimates, okay, these are liberals and they're looking at this and they're saying as much as 30% of all Internet activity is sexually explicit in its content. According to our society, it is the new normal. We live in a world where Truth is relative, where there are very few, if any, absolutes. And everyone is encouraged to do what is right in your own eyes. And increasingly, the laws of our land support that decision. This is the new normal. And Paul explains that the uninhibited pursuit of these passions leads to a culture of idolatry where something other than Jesus Christ is the central desire of our heart. And I want you to understand what Paul says as he continues to write. He says, make no mistake. Idolatry is a serious offense in the eyes of a holy God. And it will not go without judgment. Look at what he says in verse 6. He says, on account of these things, the wrath of God will come. You see, that is a promise. The wrath of God will come. But at the same time, I want you to know that that Paul is not giving this list to the Colossians to inform them of something that they were not already aware of. Just like I don't have to tell you that the pattern of our culture is also in a spiral of sinful decay. That's not new news to you. They understood, as we do, the corruption of the culture in which we live. But not only do we see it, Paul wants us to understand that we once lived it. Look at verse 7. He says, And in them you also walked when you were living in them. We've looked at that passage of Ephesians several times where Paul there writes that we once lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. The reality is that we were all born into a life 
of idolatry where something other than Christ ruled and reigned in our heart. And because of that, we were by nature children of wrath, rightly deserving the judgment of God. But Paul wants us to know that when we turn from this path, choosing instead to follow Christ instead of our selfish desires, we are introduced to what is our new normal because of who we are as a new creation in Christ. Paul explains that we have died to our old self and we are hidden in our new self in Christ. So that the sin that once entangled us no longer has dominion over us. That's how he can write in verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to those things that once ruled over us. And don't forget, Paul is speaking these words to, to counteract what was being taught to them by the false teachers. Their teaching would have no appeal unless it is somehow addressing a relevant need in the life of the Colossian church. And, and that need, which we share in, is the desire to overcome fleshly indulgence, of which we are all acutely aware of because we once walked in it. And those false teachers suggested that we overcome that fleshly indulgence by a determined self-discipline, by a moving worship experience, by some type of religious ritual that helps us feel good about the things we do. The idea here is that our body is inclined to evil, and so the way we overcome fleshly desires is we discipline it into submission. But let me tell you how foolish that is. That's like taking a pit bulldog, wrapping it up in chains, sticking it in the isolation of a doghouse where you lock it inside as a means to keep it from fighting. You have done nothing to change the nature of that animal by controlling the environment in which it lives. In fact, you've probably incited it to more rage. And Paul wants us to understand that when we try to apply that same strategy in our life, we can expect the same result. He already told us that in the end of verse 23, chapter 2, he says, but these efforts as described by the false teacher are of no value against fleshly indulgence. You see, the answer is not found in a punishing discipline, but instead in a loving submission. Now, I want to take you back to some verses that we've looked at several times, and that's okay because I want them to be ingrained into your heart and in your mind. Go over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. And listen how Paul describes this same reality to the Romans. Chapter 6. Verse 11, speaking to believers, just as Paul did to the Colossians, he tells this to the Romans. He says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God and Christ Jesus. Therefore, now listen to this, do not let sin reign. 
What Paul is telling you as a believer in Jesus Christ, that you now have a power that you did not previously possess. You have the ability through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit to overcome a sin that once enslaved you. Do not let sin reign. He then goes on to say, in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. And do not, there again, another choice, present your members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. But listen, here's your new normal. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And Paul wants you to know that your new normal is the ability to overcome sin's enslaving power. But that victory is not achieved by human effort, but instead by submission to divine intervention. Paul continues to to give us a, a yet another angle of these wrong paths that we can find ourselves on as he turns from what is able to destroy your life to that which will destroy your relationships. Turn back to Colossians chapter 3 and, and pick up with me in verse 8. Paul says in verse 8, But now you also put them all aside. And here's the list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Here, Paul continues to emphasize the key distinction between who you are in Christ and who you were apart from Him. Twice, in these two verses, he tells the Colossians to lay aside the old self with its evil practices. He intends to communicate in the words that he uses. It's kind of like removing an old, dirty shirt in order to put on a new, clean one. Jesus knows and has spoken to us specifically in the Gospel. He says, out of the mouth speaks that which fills the heart. Paul wants you to know that there was a time when, when sin controlled your life and you were powerless to change. And out of your life and out of your mouth came that which filled your heart. But in Christ... You have now been given a power to overcome the rule of sin. But I want you to notice that this is not something you do by self-effort. The power that you have is Christ in you. The hope of glory. And it's only experience when you surrender yourself to Him and follow the leading of His Spirit. Let me show you what that looks like. Flip over to Romans chapter 8. It's a beautiful description that will emphasize exactly this point. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. I want to read this together and then I want to just ask some questions that are answered in this passage. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 says, So then, brethren... We are under obligation not to the flesh that has been separated as we learned in Colossians through the crucifixion of Christ on the cross. We are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. 
But if you're if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live for all who are being led by the spirit of God. These are the sons of God. So let me ask you, who is putting to death the deeds of the flesh? Who is putting to death the deeds of the flesh? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is putting to death the deeds of the flesh. So therefore, who must be in control for sin to be conquered in your life? The Spirit of God must be in control. He says that when you are led by the Spirit, His power overrules the reign of sin in your life. You see, this ultimately is a decision of surrender. A decision of surrender. Your victory over sin is a decision of surrender. And we see this as evidence when we begin to follow Christ because instead of these vices, we begin to see fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love replaces anger. Joy replaces wrath. Peace replaces malice. Patience replaces slander. Kindness replaces abusive speech. And ultimately, truth replaces lies. Where the fruit of the Spirit gives evidence of the control of the Spirit in the life of the one who is following Christ. But I also want to tell you, that we can't expect this to happen overnight. This is a process. In fact, complete surrender is a lifelong process. It's something that we never arrive at. We continue to strive towards. And and Paul makes that point. Go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Let me start there. And he says, Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practice." And then in verse 10 he says, and have put on the new self. Remember, moving the old shirt, dirty, nasty, grimy, put on the new one, which is clean. And here's why. It's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. See, your life in Christ has introduced you into a realm of new possibilities not previously known. Your submission to the Holy Spirit has the power to transform your life into the image of Christ. It is a transformation based on the knowledge of what is true. That's what he says back in verse 10. And it put on a new self who is being renewed by what? A true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. That's what we have plastered all over this truth, all over this church. Truth producing life. That's what this is talking about right here. Truth producing life. And so the the more you move towards Christ and you know him and his work, the more you are changed to be like him. And the more that you are changed to be like Him, the more you understand Him. And the more you understand the person and work of Jesus Christ, the more you trust Him. 
And the more you trust Him, the more you are willing to lay aside the old and to put on the new. Understand that that this is not just a, a simple exchange to have virtues over vices. This is ultimately a decision of submission. Because sin surrounds us. Paul makes that point to the Colossians. It's equally as evident for us today. And we need to understand that sin surrounds us and it has the capacity to control us. But only if you invite it to be master. If I go back to Romans chapter 6, I told you, it says, do not let sin reign. That implies that you have that choice. If you want to follow that rule and reign in your life, it will take control, but only if you invite it to be your master. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in in righteousness. And understand that obedience that Paul is speaking of here is the obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer. It's a decision of submission in which path you choose to follow. And Paul wants us to know that we are being renewed by the work of Christ to the praise of His glory. And that renewal is is an active choice on our behalf to submit to the work of Christ in our life. In other words, being renewed is is not something that's being done by you. It's something that's being done for you. You see, the false teachers wrongly proclaim that you overcome fleshly desires by a determined self-discipline. And Paul says, as he writes to the Philippians, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And so he goes on to say, work out the salvation that He has already made possible in your life as you put your trust in Him. Our trust in Him is what transforms our life. But we must let go of the old in order to embrace the new. Believe that God is good. That His way is perfect. That His plan for you is to to prosper and not to perish. To give you a future and a hope. I was thinking about this the other day and, and I think if you look at all those evil desires that in their original design they are a corruption of something that was intended for good. That God created for good purposes. That man corrupted for selfish desires. And the question is, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? The ways of men or the works of God? Do you believe that He loves you, has your best interests in mind? And if you do, then follow Him and put it to the test. And Paul goes on to explain that, that that salvation that is made available as you put your trust in Him is more than about just you. <laughs> It involves others. In verse 11, he says, a renewal in which there is no distinction. And then he lists these pairs, these couplets. And these are intentional as he goes through this because when he talks about the barriers between the Greek and the Jew, he's talking about racial barriers in that culture. 
We could substitute in there blacks and whites and, and Hispanics and whoever. That there's no distinction, Paul says. He talks about religious barriers between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. We could put in denominations of Methodist, Baptist, Bible Church, Church of Christ, fill in the blank. Talks about cultural barriers between barbarians and Scythians, Americans, Europeans, Asians. Social barriers between the slave and the free, white collar, blue collar, rich and poor. The point is, is if Christ is in you, we are all the same. Because Christ in us is forever unchanged. And salvation has introduced us into a new spirit-filled community. And our ability to endure the weight of the pressures of our world is dependent upon our life inside of this community. You've heard me say it before. I want to tell you again. I believe it is absolutely biblically true. And that is, you are created for community. It is not good for man to walk alone. It is not good for woman to walk alone. The church has a purpose designed by God. And it is for your protection and for His glory. The reason I know this to be true is you can look at all the passages. I think of Romans 8. I think of Ephesians 4. I think of Colossians that we're looking at this morning. And every single time they talk about the new self and the old self, the, the, the old way and the new way, it always includes a description of the impact of walking in the new self on the life of, of who you are in the community of Christ. Let me give you an example. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's just look at one. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. It says, That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Here we go, similar discussion, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And that you be renewed, another similar word, in the spirit of your mind. And here we go again, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And listen to what he says. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with your neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He goes on in verse 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is good for edification, according for the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. And how do we grieve? By following another path instead of where He is leading us. He goes on to say, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ has forgiven you. How we walk as we are led by the Holy Spirit impacts our life as we are transformed to the image of Christ, but it impacts who we are in the life of the community of Christ as well. Now, I want you to know that, that as I thought through this passage, um, I really wrestled w- with how to effectively communicate the truths of what Paul intended for us to, to hear this morning. And the reason I was bothered by it is because I see a vacuum 
in the church at large today where there is very little victory over sin. That, that somehow what Paul is writing about in Colossians and in other places in Scripture, we don't seem to be getting the message. The church of Jesus Christ is plagued with divorce and addiction, immorality and disunity, anxiety and fear. And there would be no need for me to try to convince you, because we all know it to be true, that, that our world is in a spiral of spiritual decay. But why do so many Christians get caught within the current of our culture? I mean, you just look in Lubbock, Texas, and there's a, there's a church on every street corner. And so we know that there are messages being taught on a regular basis in large abundance. And yet there is such scarcity of truly transformed lives. Why is that? Let me suggest to you that perhaps one of the reasons is that like the Colossians, we too have been influenced to follow the wrong path of what it means to live a righteous life. And very often we have taken the path of doing things that look good on the outside without addressing the heart on the inside. Some of you know I enjoy woodworking. I don't get a chance to do it as much as I used to, but I enjoy it when I get a chance to. And I want you to know that when I build a large piece of furniture, I love to use solid wood, but it's really expensive. And so a lot of times I can't do that. So what I'll do is I'll take a fabricated wood like plywood or press board, something that's man-made. It's much less expensive, okay? I'll build this cabinet, and then I'll take what's called a laminate or a very, it's almost a paper-thin piece of, of, of wood that they just shave off the top of real wood, and I laminate it or glue it on top of the plywood. And when you look at that piece of furniture, it looks exactly like solid wood, but it's not. It's a laminate covering up something that's man-made underneath. I believe that one of the struggles that we have in the Christian church is that we veneer, we laminate these Christian values over our old nature. And it looks real impressive on the outside. But it is covering up something that is completely man-made on the inside. I'm concerned about the condition of our heart because life transformation begins on the inside, not on the outside. And so let me encourage you to examine your heart. But in doing so, let me tell you that I think there are only two people who know the true condition of your heart. That's God and you. Those are the only two people. The question is, do you take time to examine your heart, to know what's going on. And, and so let me use an illustration to help you understand how you might go about doing that. Okay, Let's say we're driving down the highway in our car, and we know that on our dashboard is a series of lights and dials and things that are telling us that everything's okay. right? And if we begin to see one of those dials, let's say the oil light, begin to go to a point where a red light comes on and it's telling us something's wrong. And you and I know that if we're driving down the road, that light's going off. If we ignore that light and just keep on driving, that eventually we're going to ruin that engine. We're going to destroy it, aren't we? 
when we ignore that something is wrong inside there. So what we need to do is stop, pull over, pop the hood, and see what's going on. Now, if you're like me, you could do that and think, I don't know what's going on in there, right? So I need to have somebody like HUD to come alongside me and say, hey, can you help me see what's going on in here? There's a light going off. What's wrong with the engine? One of the things that I find of value when we read a passage like this that lists these old nature attributes, and you think, well, those seem obvious. Why, Why are they there? One of the things that I think they do for us is they tell us when something's wrong with our heart. So when you're driving through life and you notice that your, your temper is short and you start to chop people's head off before they get a chance to speak their mind, you're short with your kids. Maybe you're struggling with forgiveness and you harbor bitterness and it's just eating you alive. Maybe when that glance turns into a long, lingering look that eventually moves towards lust. Those are dials going off in your life that's telling you something's wrong with your heart. Don't keep driving. Stop the car. Get out. Pop the hood and examine your heart. And if you're like me, sometimes you need to invite somebody, somebody you trust. Lance, Carrie, come with me. Here's what's happening. What's going on? Can you look at this with me? Because there's clearly a problem, and I'm heading down the wrong road, and I want to be on the right path. It's a decision of submission. There's a group of guys that are doing discipleship with me this uh, on Sunday nights. And one of the things that we have been learning together is that Christ is not interested in just a tune-up in our life. He wants a complete overhaul. Like I mentioned to you last week, this is not about a remodel. This is about a new creation. We need to understand that this is accomplished daily, daily, as we surrender our life to Christ. Dying to ourselves so that it is no longer I who live, no longer you who live, but who? Christ who lives in you. So that the life you live, you live by faith in Jesus Christ who loves you, who gave Himself for you. And when you follow Him, He will fulfill you with all He originally intended for you to experience through faith and trust in Him. I hope that's the path you're on. Let me pray this morning. God, that's our heart. We know that it's so easy to get distracted by ways of the world, so we ask that you help us stay on the path of putting our trust in you, following not with self-determination or the wisdom of the world, but instead by submission to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And when there are warning signs, help us to keep from foolishly driving forward without stopping to look inside. Transform us from the inside. May the truth produce the life that you desire as we align our lives with what you have revealed in Scripture to be a man or woman of God who seeks hard after you. We pray this in your name. Amen.